Merry Christmas, everyone. It's good to be with you. This is the first time I think we've, as a church, that we've celebrated Christmas together on Sunday, as this happens every seven years, and our church is six years old. So this is the first time. On Christmas Eve Eve, which would have been Friday, what was that, Peter? Christmas Adam. Christmas Adam. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. On Friday, there was a black BMW that came zooming down 204th. It came on the SeaTac side, hitting a couple parked cars, crossed Des Moines Memorial, hit more cars, and grazed Stephanie's car as it hit the barrier on the retaining wall at the base of our house, backed up into my neighbor's car, and drove all the way down 10th Avenue before it plowed into another uh, neighbor's car and parked in their driveway and then landed in the yard. There was some sort of influence that was involved in this kind of driving. But of all the days to be driving under the influence, Friday was like the worst day to do that. Our our road was just a single sheet of ice. And uh, my neighbor just north of me, Joe, called me and says, hey, Daniel, someone just hit Stephanie's car. They backed up into uh, Sixto, my neighbor's daughter's car. Uh, you, You guys should go check it out. So I... I put on my snow clothes and I, I put on my boots and I try to go down to check it out. And I, I didn't even make it like a couple steps down my driveway. I slid all the way down. I tried to ski it at first, you know, kind of when you're like this going down. And then I fell and just decided to slide all the way down my driveway on my side. And luckily, I don't know how exactly she hit Stephanie's car, but it only looked like the light was grazed and maybe she hit the hitch, which was took kind of the brunt of the force, which is the, praise God, that's like the best thing to hit. It's just straight metal. That's not going to bend. And as we were going down to look at it, if you were on any kind of in, incline or decline, there was no traction. In fact, after we looked at the scene and the police officer came and we talked with him, I tried to go back up my driveway and I couldn't. I had to scale my retaining wall up the, up the grass and uh, my neighbor and his son, Sixto and, and Richie, they, they tried to go across by my uh, garage door. And he took one bad step and slid back all the way down the driveway. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a sight to see. And I learned a couple things based on that experience. One is, you know, like everyone in the neighborhood came out to check it out. And, and the neighbor down the road who, whose car he hit thought, yeah, I, I thought she came down the hill this way, but... But then my other neighbor said, no, 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 we saw the whole thing. He came down this way. He hit Stephanie's car, back to Minnesota's car, and came down. And it's like the eyewitness, you know, the news spread quickly. And it was, everyone came out to see. And the other thing I learned is that if you don't have a stable foundation when you're walking on ice, you're done for. If you don't have a tree to hold on to or a, like a rock wall to climb up, there's no kind of traction. And, and this, this taught me, I think, this Advent season, this Christmas season, if you try to build your identity on anything other than the solid foundation of Christ, you're going to slip and fall. Jesus said, anyone who hears the words of mine and, and obeys them is like a man who builds his house on a solid rock. The waves come, the wind come, but his, his house is secure. And anyone who hears my words and doesn't do them is like a man who builds his house on the sand or on the ice. <laughs> you're going to slide and, and fall and it's not going to be good for you. The second thing I, I learned was that when... When something big happens in the neighborhood, news spreads quickly. And the eyewitness accounts bear witness and they can correct assumptions and help people put the pieces together. 
heard a pastor say once that Christianity does not declare there is something now that consenting adults can do in the privacy of their lives that brings them peace and comfort. No, Christianity declares God has done something in history. He has broken in. Certain historical events have happened and how you respond to them will be the basis on which you rise or fall. God has broken into history. He has done something in history that changes everything and you'll be judged on the basis of how you respond to it. Look at history. Of, there's eyewitness accounts of the birth of Jesus, of the life of Jesus, of the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's not as if we gather together and we get to remember or kind of muster up some nice feelings of this, wouldn't it be nice if this were true? It's not as though we get to speculate or this is some sort of inspiring myth. We celebrate on Christmas life-changing news that God has broken into history and he has done something that we have to respond to. For those who respond in repentance and faith, it is good news of great joy that Christ the Messiah has come. He's born in the city of David and he's come to be Emmanuel, God with us, the savior of the world. So we're gonna look at, at the promise a promise of this Jesus born into the world this morning from Isaiah. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, let me invite you to take a hold of it and open with me to Isaiah chapter nine. If you don't own a Bible, we have some provided here on the room off to my left. Please take one as our gift to you. It's considered a gift, a Christmas gift. We think the Bible is a great gift to us that we get to study and enjoy God in it. Amen? Amen. This Christmas will mark seven years since Steph and I got to share the exciting news in the, in the life of our marriage, news that we shared with family and friends that after a long awaited time, after believing it wouldn't be in the cards, we discovered that Stephanie was pregnant and expecting. And, she, and we had a, a baby girl was gonna be born summer of 2016. And the news led to us being able to share this, this birth announcement with my parents on Christmas day. One of my favorite memories of Christmas we gave them a copy of the ultrasound photo and it was framed in a little frame that said, best grandparents ever. And I still remember the look on my parents' faces. They opened it and my dad's face of like shock, you know, to excitement, to tears of joy. It's like, is this, really, is this really true? Is this happening? It was a great memory. Puzzlement, laughter, excitement, joy. And throughout the life of our church, we've had the, the blessing of welcoming many babies into our church. Whether it's, Ben and Megan, or Chris and Brittany, or John and Allie, or Peter and Caroline, or Juan and Katie, or Steffi and I, we've, we've had the joy of welcoming many babies, and Lord willing, many more. Amen? In the life of our church. And it's glad news, it's celebrated news that, that God has given, blessed a family with, with new life. But there is no birth that brings more joy than the birth of Jesus. Amen. You can be a friend of an expectant mother or a parent or a grandparent and know that when you hear the news of a baby to be born, it's news of joy. But hearing the news of Jesus born, that's news of great joy. That baby's going to do something that no other baby in the history of the world is going to do. Amen? Amen? So friends, my aim this morning is to look at this announcement of this coming baby, the promise of this baby, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would see Jesus and worship him this Christmas day. This wasn't simply good news to a particular biological family. This wasn't simply good news to an extended family. This wasn't simply good news for a mother trying to fill some sort of emotional void and having a baby. This was good news for the whole 
world. News of this birth would spread throughout the whole world and continues to do so among unreached peoples and among all the earth. It's a news that brings increasing joy. So let's look at what the prophet Isaiah promised to the people of Israel. It's building off the promise, what he said in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So it's building off that promise. Isaiah chapter nine, we'll start in verse one. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought in contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later times, he had made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. This verse is coming out of chapter eight, verse 22. It says, you know, unbelieving Judah, they're gonna look out and they're gonna be in darkness. They're just gonna see darkness, the gloom of anguish. They're gonna be thrust into thick darkness. But God says, there's gonna be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. For the remnant, for the believing people of God, there is going to be no more anguish. Her who is in anguish is a reference to Israel. They've been under the judgment of God, under his discipline. And Isaiah is promising this darkness is not going to last forever. This despair will not go on forever. There's going to be a time in the future when Galilee, the Gentiles, will be filled with glory. And they will be honored by the presence of the Messiah. And God will do something and launch hope from Galilee. It says in verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Darkness is a reference to spiritual deadness and light often symbolized in the Bible is reference to God. Darkness is described as those who live and function apart from God. But Isaiah is promising those who were in darkness, God's gonna shine his light upon them. And on them, the light has shone. This is the good news of hope that would dawn upon those who were in darkness. Those rebellious sinners would find love and light in Jesus. And notice that those who walked in darkness, what they did. Notice what they did to deserve this light being shown upon them. Nothing. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They are the joyful recipients of this light, this initiating kindness. Look at verse three. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they devoid the spoil. Look what God's promising to do here. Multiply their joy. It's increasing joy. He says, that's going to be joy. They're going to rejoice before the people as those who like rejoice at the harvest, like a warrior dividing the plunder, right? For us, post-urban revolution, industrial revolution, birth of the computer, this might, illustration might not be as vivid to us. There's a Christmas tree that's giving us some fits there in the back. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chad. So maybe a more similar illustration, instead of joy at the harvest, or joy as warriors who divide the plunder, would be something like this. The people will rejoice before God like those awaiting the new iPhone 14. Rejoice as they are about to receive their new gift. People will be as joyful as athletes who rejoice. They're dividing the spoils of the Stanley Cup, of the World Series, of the Super Bowl. The joy will be as abounding and increasing as kids on Halloween as they get their plunder from looting the neighborhood with their candy. These images are all pointing to the joy that God will give his people. 
And these images point to this emotion, this emotion that's of great happiness and pleasure. You know, sometimes I've heard it, it say, or Christians say that, you know, joy is different than happiness. You ever heard this? Scripturally speaking, there, there is no such difference. If you look in the scriptures to find passages that show any kind of difference between happiness and joy, you won't find any. Historically speaking, there's been no difference in church language between happiness and joy. In fact, if you Google the definition of joy, you'll find the following definition. A feeling of great pleasure or happiness. That's what joy is. Historically, church leaders of the Puritans or John Wesley or Jonathan Edwards, they used the terms happiness and joy synonymously. So when Jesus promises in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, he's saying, I'm saying these things to you that you may share in the very happiness that I enjoy in the Trinity. The divine happiness. The happiness that Christ gives to his people is a participation of his own happiness. God cares about our happiness. He cares about our joy. He promises to multiply it. Isn't that good news? God cares about our happiness, and in verse 3, we see a glorious promise that he has promised to increase it. Increase means to make great, to make great in size, in scale, in magnitude, or importance, and he's using rejoice, glad, and joy, all describing these expressions, this feeling of supreme happiness. This is what God has promised to do in the birth of this son, Jesus, increasing joy and happiness. Look at verse 4. For the, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod for his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle turmoil and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This is vivid imagery, isn't it? And the, the prophet Isaiah is promising that God is going to shatter the oppressive yokes of the enemies. There is going to be a time when the boots of the soldier in war and garments and uniforms that have been stained by blood, all that symbolize and signify violence and depression, they're going to be burned. They're gone in this day. They're going to be fuel for the fire. So those who have been in darkness, they're going to see a great light. Light will shine upon them. They're going to have joy that's going to be great. They're going to be glad and increasing. God's going to free the people from the oppressive yoke, from bondage. He's going to burn the boots and the garments of the warriors. And he's going to see in verse six, there's another promise, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Isaiah describing these events seemingly as if in the birth of the child, these events will be unfolding and take place. Isaiah is expecting that this son, this child, this child born, this son given is expected to do and accomplish the work of God in salvation, in restoration, and in redemption. He's going to be the one establishing the increasing joy of God's people. So God's answers to violence and destruction and oppression and darkness in the world, it's a baby. A baby will deliver the people. A baby, a child will be the one who is going to set God's people free. He's going to bring them everlasting joy and good news of comfort and peace. And look what this child's going to do. The government shall be on his shoulders. It's a rare word in the Bible. It only appears twice. Two other places use the same Hebrew word. One is found in Isaiah 9.6, and the other is found in Isaiah 9.7. It's right here in this passage. And it's a reference to a state of condition, a dominion, a sovereign reign. 
It's a word that's signifying dominion, power, legal authority. This child is going to carry all rule and authority. And this child is given four names. And I think these four names are described what this child will do. Who he is, what he will do. His name shall be called, number one, Wonderful Counselor. Two, Mighty God. Three, Everlasting Father. Four, Prince of Peace. Right, Wonderful Counselor can be thought of as miraculous, like of extraordinary nature. Working it is mysterious and difficult to comprehend. He's going to be someone who provides wisdom. In other words, this child is not going to need another counselor. This child won't need any advice by anyone else in his plans. He will be his own wonderful counselor. Two, we see that he will be mighty God. This is the the divine title. Reference to the sovereign Lord Yahweh. The The prophet Isaiah uses this title. It's used to describe the sovereign Lord. It describes this child. Third, he will be everlasting father. He will be eternal from eternity past. He will provide for and protect his people like a good father should. The role of the father was to provide and protect for his people. And this was what the ideal king was supposed to do, provide and protect for his people. And this is what this baby will be, an everlasting father. Not a reference to God the father, but a reference to what the role of a father was, provider, protector. And fourth, he will be called Prince of Peace. Princes in Isaiah's context were troublemakers. They were often caused conflicts and upheaval. According to religious beliefs and traditions, they, in the surrounding nations, princes did some bad things. They were often trying to usurp their father's throne. But this child is going to be different than these other princes. He's going to be a prince of peace. He's going to be the source of peace. And peace in the Hebrew understanding doesn't simply mean lack of conflict. As you hear a beauty pageant might say, what's what's the one thing that you want in the world? World peace, right? Am I do the... Something like this. What do we want? World peace. But the word is shalom. It's, it's, comp- it's a more encompassing term. It means like wholeness, fullness, wellness, completeness. To be prince of shalom, this child in himself, will be wholeness, will be completeness. He will resolve what's broken and missing. And verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what else is is this baby going to be? He's going to have an eternal rule. He's going to be from the lineage of David. He's going to establish justice. He's going to rule kind of limitlessly. It's going to expand. He will create peace without end. And this passage beautifully ties together what we've seen so far in the Advent season. He will be king. He will be son, a child. He will be a servant. He will be a savior, breaking the yoke of bondage, shattering the oppressive burden. This Christmas, what can we learn from the story? What is the promise that God made to us that in the midst of decline, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of wickedness, the nation was experiencing the wickedness of King Ahaz, there would be a coming light, a coming joy, Peace, a new ruler from the line of David who would save his people. And Isaiah is reminding them, he's anchoring their hope because of this good news that this joy, this establishment of shalom would be established. Why? Look at verse seven again. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's good news, isn't it? 
it's not up to us. Amen? It wasn't up to the Israelites. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The sovereign God who rules all things, his own zeal, his own passion, his own purposes, he will do this. This is what we celebrate on Christmas. God broke into history. He did what he promised he would do. And we get to respond by praising him and receiving him and, and praying that God would increase the joy that we have as we understand what does Christmas really mean? What does good news of great joy really mean? What would it mean for me to respond appropriately to this good news of great joy? It wouldn't mean that we're more excited about presence than worshiping Jesus. Remember as a kid, it's like Christmas was the best day because what did I get to do? Open up presents, and it was about me. If I didn't get the presents that I wanted, I remember feeling disappointed. And I remember waking up, you know, every Christmas, we had this tradition of, you know, my dad would read through the Christmas story, and we would light the Advent candle, and we'd read the Christmas story, and we'd pray together. I was just thinking every year, God, this takes so long. Let's just get to the presents. Man. And I was a child, and I had a faith like a child. And my perspective and worldview was about me. And Paul says, when, when I was a child, I thought like a child. When I got older, I put off such childish things. And was, as we celebrate Advent, this is what we do. We're giving gifts to our kids to remind them of the great gift that God gave to us. But it's not ultimately about the gifts. It's about Jesus, the greatest gift of all. And we get to worship him and celebrate him. So, so such a blessing that we get to do this today on Christmas. Sunday morning, we get to worship Jesus together and remember the coming of his birth. All right, so we, we, we trust and, and pray that nothing was impossible for God. He promised the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And we look back at the Christmas story and we say, God promised to do this and he accomplished it. So whatever God promises to do in the future, the advent becomes also a reminder of looking forward to his second coming. So says, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Notice the distinction. Right, old English, the King James Version, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Of course, this is not a reference to two distinct people, as if a son is born and then a child is born. And it's just one individual with two distinct natures, Isaiah's promising. This child was given four names, like one wouldn't even do it. <laughs> Describe the wonder, the identity, the destiny of this child. Mighty God, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. And we've seen previously that these names describe not only who the child is, but what he will do. And can you imagine the promised, this promised baby, this promised child, to have this kind of expectation on him? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if, if you were receiving a card of your friend was having a baby, seeing a post on Facebook or an Instagram where the parents write, the child hasn't even been born, and the, child, the parents write this, he will be CEO of a Fortune 500 company. He will be valedictorian of his class. He will be star high school quarterback. He will also be great at music and he will speak multiple languages. Can you imagine that? Talk about the pressure putting upon a child. And what is it? Talk about Jesus. Can you imagine the pressure? Only Jesus could live up to this name, right? Or babies don't have resumes because they haven't done anything. You don't see babies with resumes. You know what they're good at? Crying, eating, pooping. Eating, that's about it. But this child's going to be unique. 
The shoulders of this baby will carry the government. What a beautiful picture. Just imagine a little baby, right? Just carrying the government on his shoulders. He would be God. All these names only belong to God. God in the scriptures teaches us that we need God to break into history. We need a mighty God, a Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor, because we all, like sheep, have gone astray. The psalmist says in Psalm 14, the Lord looks down from heaven to see if there's anyone who's wise, anyone who seeks God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. One of Israel's greatest kings, King David, a man who described a man after God's own heart. This is what he said. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. That's how he described himself. Jesus says, anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Friends, this promise is so important that in a land of darkness, the light of Christ is shown because we are in desperate need of light being shown into our hearts. And the world is in desperate need of light being shown into their hearts. We, before Christ, were blind. We were enslaved. We were oppressed. We were ignorant. We were walking in darkness. And so are those around the world now who do not know this Jesus. They are in the same condition. And this is good news that God breaks into history because we know there's no other way. There's no other way for broken, rebellious sinners like you and me to stop trusting in ourselves, stop trusting in political alliance, stop trusting in idealization, stop trusting in mediums and the dead or the demonic, the spirits of darkness. We can stop and trust and believe in the true king of the world, the true light. The only solution to the brokenness and the darkness in our world is the light of Jesus. This savior king, this humble baby, and God promises will only be accomplished through this child. So trusting and hoping and seeking satisfaction or deliverance from anyone or anything else is futile. Only Jesus fulfills this promise. This is a promise of Jesus Christ who would be born of the Virgin Mary. This Jesus was the son of God, the son given, the son eternal. No creation point, begotten of the father from eternity past. He was sent by the father into the world. And this Jesus, this messianic child was a son given to us a child born to us. He was of the royal blood. He was from the family line of David. He was both human and divine. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus is the baby boy who goes through the light of the Gentiles teaching and preaching about the good news. In fact, this is what's recorded in Matthew chapter four, verse 13, talking about Jesus. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. What does that sound like? Isaiah 9. So that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the sea by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them light has dawned. And Matthew writes this, and from that time, Jesus began preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is the message of Christmas. The angel comes and announces the birth of Jesus to Mary and says this, he will be great and will be called son of the most high. 
And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. What does that sound like? Isaiah 9. Joseph also receives a vision, a visit from the angel who tells him, Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the promised Savior who would come. He would save his people, the son to be given, the child to be born. The, the word became flesh. It was in Jesus, John writes, was the light of men. And Jesus, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, will not overcome it. The missionary and the apostle Paul says it like this to the letter of the, to the church in Corinth. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The promise has been fulfilled. The light of the glory of the gospel has been shown into the hearts of those in Corinth. And if you are a Christian here this morning, God has shined the light of the glory of Jesus Christ into your heart. Jesus is the light. And if you've not turned from your rebellion to trust in the Savior King, if you've not received this gift of grace, what a great morning on Christmas to do so, to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. I'd love to speak with you afterwards, to grab coffee with you or a burger or nachos or anything food-related. I'd love to connect with you over. <laughs> Jesus was born as a baby. He ushered in the announcement of this good news, this good news of great joy. So church, do we believe that there has been a great light shine upon us, shine upon you, that although you were once in darkness, on you the light of Christ has shone. You believe that? Once you were in the land of death, now you have life. And you have experienced joy as the yoke of your oppressors was shattered. You've been freed from bondage and slavery. And Jesus has come into your hearts, establishing a peace that begins now and will reign forever. And he will not be overcome. He was not in his life, death, and resurrection. He will not be when he comes again in the second advent. And we owe all of this to Jesus. Church, let's pray that the God of our Father, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him this year. Amen? that the eyes of our hearts would be continually opened and enlightened, that we would know the full joy of our salvation, that we would experience the good news of great joy in fresh and new ways this Christmas season and into the new year, that our hearts would not grow cold or callous to this wonderful news of a child born, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, that we'd be rooted and grounded in this love, and know that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge, that we'd be filled with all the fullness of our happy and good God. We pray this blessing over us this morning as we sing and remember Jesus in communion. Father, would you grant to us increasing joy? In the land of darkness, <laughs> we can believe and resonate with that in the greater Seattle area, amen? We pray that this Christmas, and as we look forward to the new year, 
would be a year in which the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ would shine in our hearts and radiate through our lives. Father, would people look at our lives and our marriages and our families and our extended families and our church and see the glory of Jesus among us? Would we come into deeper belief and rest that you, Jesus, are our wonderful counselor? That you have the wisdom that we need in how to live in the world that is? That you are mighty God, that nothing is impossible with you, that, that we can bring all our requests before you. We can cast all our anxieties upon you, not just because you're powerful, but because you care about us. You love us. You invite us to do this. You are everlasting father. Fathers, we get anxious and fearful of how will I be provided for this next year? How will I be protected this next year? Help us to trust that you are our everlasting father. You perfectly provide for and protect us. Help us to believe and to have faith in this when our present circumstances seem to show otherwise. When we don't feel protected, when we suffer and experience injustice, when we are oppressed and abused and robbed, Help us to believe, Father, that above all, you will provide and protect for us. Help us to believe, Father, that you are Prince of Peace. You are the Prince of Shalom. Not simply end of conflict, but wholeness. Father, make us whole. Help us to be people of peace as we walk out into the broken and dark world, as we walk out onto the chaos of social media and neighborhoods and government and friend groups and those that frankly can be violent. Help us to be people of peace that reflect the Prince of Peace. Lord, it's such a joy to be together this morning and to celebrate all that you've done. And I pray that you would do this for your namesake, that you would bless these people, you'd bless us, that your face would shine upon us, that you would turn towards us and give us peace. Would we in turn bless you and bless those around us this Christmas and this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.